You're listening to UX Podcast, a monthly podcast from Stockholm, Sweden, with James Royal Lawson and Per Axman. Moving the conversation beyond UX. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast number eight. And uh, you're listening to Pat Axbom and James Royal Lawson. And uh, for the first time in the history of UX Podcast, we're not actually sitting in James' studio. Well, maybe you are, James. I am. No, yeah, I, I, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm where I should be. You're where um, you should it's, be, it's and I'm, I'm actually at home. <laughs> and uh, we want to start, well, one of the reasons for this is we have so much to do with the both of us, and uh, we wanted to also start off by apologizing, apologizing for not putting out an episode in January of 2012, which kind of sucked uh, uh but again uh we've been up to our necks in work and also i had a break-in uh, i was burgled and uh they took one of my hard disks and there's a post on my site about how to save your data uh in a good manner using backblaze so we're gonna put that in their site links here or in the show links yeah and uh what you you actually would have had time in January, wouldn't you, James? I did have I did have time in January, but <laughs> but literally you got burgled, so we had to cancel it. Yeah. Um, which is well, fair enough. I mean, life's you know life's like it is. Um, some things some things go ahead of podcasts. Mm. Yeah, probably yes. <laughs> but this is but also this is um, so this is a bit of a new thing that we're we're not in the same place and we're both finding that already a little bit weird. But um, we'll it see. It is weird. We don't have the dynamics, and we can't see each other's expressions. So it's yeah. it's quite, kind of strange, and so we don't know what this will sound like. And, Could have turned uh, on the video pair. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah, but I'm afraid that that's going to grab uh, too much of our broadband, right. and and it's, uh, yeah. you're smart about this. Well done. Mm. <laughs> and then on top of that, we're actually going to try a different format, um, right? For this episode, and probably for the next um, next couple at least, to see how that works. Mm. Um, and the, the format is going to be that me and Per take um, two links, two pages each that we've we've discovered um, this month, um, and talk about them um, for maybe five minutes, or actually more, nearer four, by the time we've done this babbling at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, closer to four, hopefully. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and, I mean, the reason being for, for doing this format, of course, is to cover more subjects and the... And the length of the program and the length of the show and uh, we'll just see how people react to that and uh, hopefully uh, it'll be useful to more people that we'll actually cover more su- more subject areas yeah that's what we think so uh let's kick off james you uh, okay. actually yeah. wrote your monster post on uh, cookies and the cookie law in uh, sweden and the eu yeah. What brought? Why, what did you write about that? Yeah, well, um, you're right. It's, it's um, this post I did a couple of weeks ago now is, it's by, I think it's by far the biggest thing I've ever written. It's it's well over ten thousand words. Um, I don't think I wrote anything that long at university. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to get out of what writing to be that long at university. Um, but no, there's um, <clears throat> for those that you don't know, um, in Europe there's um, there's been an EU-wide directive um, a couple of years ago now. Um, that um, basically hand, uh, t- talked about um, controlling information that you store on people's computers. So, you know, us as website owners um, or mobile app owners or whatever, and um, that you're creating 
not just cookies, but also uh, Silverlight and HTML5 um, web store, you're storing that on someone else's hard disk, and you're not allowed to do that without, without the user's permission, right? And what's complicated there is that every EU country has to implement their own law. I suppose in America it would be the equivalent of federal you know, and, and state laws, um, or in Germany as well. Um, so we're getting a whole different set of, of laws about this um, that aren't really the same. They're all their own interpretations of the EU one. Now, my blog post, you can read the blog post, and it goes into all kind of aspects of this. But what I wanted to discuss a little bit quickly here now was, was the UX um, aspect of this, that we're entering a phase now where a whole number of countries in Europe will require you if if you are operating to, or targeting people in an EU country particularly a country and that EU country requires pre-opt-in for storing cookies and the like you've got to work out a way on your website to ask that question mm. um, ask that question pretty much for every single um, cookie you've got <laughs> um, is this for every single cookie well, this is the thing that the, the laws vary from country to country, and you know the, the countries that have decided that it's okay to use the browser settings. Then it's much more simple. You you just basically you you can flag that you've um, using cookies and lead them to clear information about it. But if you're if you're targeting one of the countries that has a bit more strict interpretation of the law, mm. um, like the UK, for example, um, and a couple of the Baltic countries, some examples. Um, there, you, you've got to be much more clear with the opt-in. Um, and the, yes, at some point in the future, maybe we can use browser settings, but the browsers themselves don't have sophisticated enough capabilities to fulfill the the, the law, or you know, to meet the law. Um, so, yeah, you potentially do have to ask for each type of cookie you're storing. So, as in, if you're if you're storing analytics cookies. Um, then you'd have to ask about the analytics cookies. If you were mm. if you were storing kind of other person, you, know, you were logging people in and storing some of their login information, uh, you know, particularly personal information, then you'd have to ask again about that kind of stuff. Um, session cookies generally aren't covered. They, they're they're considered to be an exception, one of the few exceptions. A shopping basket in an e, in an e-commerce site that's also considered generally in most countries to be an exception because it's 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 essential for the operation of the website. Okay. Um, whereas things like analytics, they're not essential for the operation of the website according to the laws. Hmm. One thing that I actually do on my, my website is if somebody comments on something, I actually store their email address so I can pre-fill a form field for subscribing to my newsletter. Uh, you store that in a cookie? Yes. Uh, you see, that's again, that's the kind of thing that, well, depending on how, this is the problem, depending on where you're aiming it, you'd have to ask about that. But what I wanted to ask, have to think about a little bit here was how do we solve this? How would you ask that question in a way that's you know, going to minimize its UX impact. Because the, the laws are all quite clear about how it has to be clear that you're asking mm. this question. Um, and I've seen a number of different variations. Some of them are the, the, the monster evil ones where there's a giant banner across the, it's almost like a light box that says, oh, you, you know, you've got to answer my question about cookies before you go any further. Uh, whereas others have done something more subtly. It's a little, a little kind of layer um, in the bottom corner that mentions cookies and gives you a yes, no, um, you know, to click, right. um, but um, but at the moment there's there's no real. I mean, I'm, I've seen some really awful implementations where they you put up a really huge yellow, yeah, box with a really <laughs> small text explanation of what's going on and asking you to do something about it, which basically means that people ignore that box and you don't you're 
just pushing your content more more and more down the page. Yeah, you're thinking about the um, no Swedish, Swedish yeah. police website. Um, I think is the one you're thinking oh, about. Oh yeah, that's probably it. That's the one I actually used as an example in the yeah. um, the blog post. Um, that's what they've got massive yellow, you know, small, reasonably small text, and um, um, they put it on every page. Um, and of course, they've got several different page types, you know, design page types, um, with you know three columns or one column and so on. So on some pages, it spans the full width. And you've got like twenty odd words on each row, and it's completely impossible to read. On other pages, it's really narrow and long, and covers the entire viewport. So none of them are successful from a you know usability point of view. Um, but the point being with those is actually that you're not really allowed to let the user continue until they've said yes or no to the to the question. Or you're no, you are not allowed to to you're not allowed to read or store information on their terminal device until they let you do it shit <laughs> you've, got, you've got to give active consent mm. for this again I'm generalizing for the whole of Europe now even though there's several different yeah, laws um, but, um, but that's basically it I mean um, you know, so there's some of the problems is that if you're on a, an existing website that you've already stored loads of cookies and things then those cookies are sent automatically <laughs> when you visit um, the, the website um, <laughs> Whether you ask permission or not. Hmm. Well, the simple thing, I mean, is do what people tend to do is actually ignore the law. Uh, <laughs> what, what would be the repercussions for a big company that ignores the law? Uh, various. Um, I think here in Sweden, um, you, you're going to get basically a, a, a letter from um, PTS, um, the authority here in Sweden that, that's charged with upholding this, um, telling you you need to book your ideas up and giving you some advice about how to do it. That's what they've done since 2003 when the previous law came into um, force. And they've only sent out a handful of letters and they've never had to prosecute anyone because everyone's always complied. Um, right. the, UK, the UK, on the other hand, um, it's quite a hefty fine if you don't, um, don't um, follow the law. And at the moment, they've deferred it until May. Um, but after that, we don't really know yet how how kind of um, you know bullish the UK authorities are going to be. But um, but it's 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 thousands of it's thousands of pounds is a fine. Um, so we have to we have to wait and see that it could be that in, if you're operating certain target in certain markets, then you've got bigger risks than others. But if anyone's got any suggestions or ideas about um, you know ways in which um, this could be solved from a or well, implemented from a UX perspective um, you, then I'd be really interested to hear from you yeah I mean it would all be come down to what content can you really present before you have to uh, put a cookie on the on the user's computer and uh, how can you make it fun for them <laughs> to actually say yes to that question yeah how can you how can you be open honest but at the same time Encouraging them, I guess, to accept. Mm. Yeah, helping them actually see the value of it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. There's some really interesting UX work to, to go on here. Mm. So, shall we move on to the next one? We should probably one. should move on to the next one. <laughs> uh, you tweeted a, a quite interesting link uh, the other day, uh, which I reacted to. Uh, which had to do with responsive text, which uh, a lot of people misunderstood and thought that responsive text, what's the difference between, uh, I, I forget what that plugin is called, but 
or add-on where yeah, you sorry, have yeah. a resizing text, but that's not what well, this is about. Yeah, the, the resizing headlines so they fit to the yeah. uh, the viewport size. Yeah, you're right. The people did seem to get confused about that. Um, no, this this was a real simple. Um, what was it? Frankie Roberto um, did a really simple um, you know, demo page um, showing you how um, by using media queries um, you could um, make text disappear. Um, from the page, um, so, you know, so you use some use some spans around um, you know text or paragraphs uh, with some classes, and the classes then are set to um, display none when you reach a certain width. Mm. Um, and um, you know, I, I I think it's a really interesting experiment because you know, or example um, is one of the one of the complaints that I think me and you have discussed in earlier podcasts with responsive designs um, is. The, the fact that it, it just moves boxes around generally and hides and shows boxes. Right. Uh, and we've talked about the importance of having, you know, the uh, importance of the context, the importance of having the right content for the context or the task in hand. Um, and this suddenly struck me as a, as a way of, of maybe helping um, deliver the right text, the right content mm. um, in the right context. Um, it's based on three. He's an example. He's got three levels. He's got um, um, unimportant text, so he's, he's marked up with spans, bits of sentences, and so on, which could be lost if you if you don't really need it. You know, extra padding in, in sentences, extra words that are not really at all needed to convey the same meaning. Um, and then there's um, um, paragraphs that are, that are um, considered to be extra information. Um, so as you shrink the width, um, first thing that goes when there's you, know, you pass, I think, 800 pixels. Um, are these extra words in all sentences? Hmm. And you go, you go a bit smaller, and the the additional information vanishes. So when you're at the minimum, like 100 pixels, I think it is, um, you've just got the the raw basic text that you've said this cannot disappear. Yeah. But um, and this does strike me as completely insane, <laughs> <laughs> because it puts so much. Uh, effort well, well into editorial work actually defining what parts of the text I mean for regular articles this, this would not be feasible you, you would need, really need to find when does when is this relevant when is it relevant to actually take well, away words and take away paragraphs just yes, because you're on a different screen size no, well yes and no I mean you've got you've got products already from you know we're talking about enterprise products now IBM already have um, as part of their CMS solution um you can you you do content clumps and and you can have them displayed depending on you know uh, what device is being is accessing the website. So it's kind of responsive, not for necessarily just the width, but also device. Mm. Uh, and that pulls in content from different you know different clumps of content you've decided to you've tagged to say that needs to appear when it's that device or that kind of device. Um, so so editorially, that's the kind of stuff that you, if you really do want to make sure you've got the right content for the right situation, then you you will be doing that. Yeah, but you're saying situation, but this is screen size. I mean, that those are yeah, not two yeah. synonymous items. Just in this example, but yeah. you could, could also start to include, um, you know, um, user agents in it as well. But, but you're right, just from screen, screen size point of view, then there are, there are situations where it would be relevant. Uh, when you when your context also coincides with screen size, um, but, um, but I'm, I'm just thinking based on what you said. If you say user agent as well, then then probably yes. If you could have a button that accesses the uh, 
the camera or the GPS because you're on a mobile device that has something like that. That's yeah. when you would include something or text about that as well. Yeah, anyway. but I, I think um, I think generally you're right though. For for a lot of websites, I mean, we, we struggle. I, mean, I struggle to get people to manage their websites, you know, really well. Anyway, <clears throat> if you if you then start to add, <clears throat> sorry, if you start to add the requirement that they need to they need to, to to highlight individual words with sentences that they've kind of put a lower pre preference, um, you know, a little presence on, then yeah, there these people, these editors are going to drown. It's never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it adds a level of complexity that just seems completely insane to me it, it's... so you have to make sure your return investment is worth it oh yeah definitely but you've got the you know the, the site that really does benefit from having that information but I, th I think it was more useful like you said um, of the situation you talked about where rather than reduce the the text within a club of text that you actually maybe could um switch or you know, offer a different paragraph yeah uh, or a different set of text hmm. but but then you've got the thing that because it's responsive web design, <clears throat> that all of the text follows when you you download the whole thing. Um, True. So you know it's all there, and it's it's going to look quite messy, I guess. Um, oh, screen readers another kind of um, another accessibility point of view. And I was talking to a client earlier today as well, and they were just learning about responsive and seeing the benefits of it, but one of the things that we're pointing out was that the, often in, in the current mobile sites saw the link to see the full site. And they always clicked on see the full site because they were afraid they were missing something by, by just watching the mobile site or just going and tuning into the mobile site, mm. which is true. And you don't want to miss anything just because you're on the smaller screen, generally speaking. You're right, but at the same time, if you've, um, if you've created um, a user experience from the mobile site that they that allows them to complete their task, then they're going to realize that they can complete their task through the mobile site and only use a full version one when they realize that it's a task they need to complete through that. As you know, I, I mean, I, I say that one of my recommendations is that you always have um, two-way linking between the um, uh, mobile version and the and the full website, and and that's also one of my complaints about responsive design. Is that it, it makes it more difficult and more complicated to allow people to see the proper website? Mm. Yeah, I, I I get what you mean. I don't agree, but I get what you mean. You know, we can take that on another. Yeah, that's uh, a, that podcast. sounds like a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> should we um, should we move on? Yeah, to, uh... I, I challenge the listeners to think of a an, uh, of a context where this would be useful. <laughs> Responsive text. <laughs> Moving on, uh, we did a, a show earlier on about responsive web design, uh, and, and uh, we still have some differences there, obviously. Hmm. And I've been asking in my clients about their preferences, and I'm doing lots of strategy work actually recently about responsive uh, or pertaining to responsive design, at least uh, with mobile dis uh, strategies for for. Uh, various companies of different sizes and it seems that everybody's moving in the direction of not building apps but rather building websites that are uh, okay in in mobile devices as well and then out of the blue uh, comes J jacob nilsson with his his uh, latest alert box article uh, actually claiming that uh, apps are still the best and everybody should be still be doing apps because they provide the best usability. 
based on the usability studies that he's been doing. And he's saying that, well, yeah, well, maybe the future mobile strategy uh, would be uh, doing mobile websites, but apps are so much better right now, so you have really no reason not to do apps. Uh, my take oh. on this being that, what's he been smoking? Because uh, no, this I, is not Jacob Nilsson. <laughs> no, I, I, oh, I agree. I, I, I got quite frustrated with this article because it's kind of saying, "What are you doing? We're just getting, you know, just managing to convince people." Like you said that, <laughs> yes. that you know the mobile, mobile web, the web app side of things is really where we should be going, and you know, take us away from this app thing. Um, and he comes out and says this, and and it's also this one size fits all, which is which is not really what he normally does and says. Mm. Um, that it can't be the case that. You know, the apps are always the best. No, what he's saying it is that based on a technology alone, i.e. an app, uh, based on that, he's saying usability is better, which is plain stupid because, of course, you can... You, I mean, I have downloaded lots of apps that are, are well, completely useless and, and really ugly, and I hate them. Yeah. And I've seen lots of uh, uh, web apps or web, web applications that are completely online that are absolutely beautiful, and one of those is... Uh, Headweb, where I rent videos, they decided to go completely web, web-based, and the, the experience is fantastic. So I mean, it can be done, and it has nothing to do whether it's it's an app or not. So, based on what he's saying, actually, is that if you think that you can build a web app that has as good usability as, as a, a native app, then go for the web app. That's basically what he's saying. So it, yeah, in that right. sense, that we're, we're in agreement. But he doesn't see. He it seems like. He has had no experience in those good apps <laughs> that are based uh, based online, yeah. and we also have very little. We have very little real insight into exactly what he was testing. Yeah. Um, during some of these studies, I don't. I don't. I don't think I. I haven't reread the article this evening, so I, I, I might be wrong. But I, I can't remember him going into some details about what they tested. I mean, you've talked. You've talked about um, bookmarks, and that some people users have quite a bit of difficulty in understanding. What, what an app is. They don't really understand what an app is. And in many situations, it's actually a bookmark to the thing that they're after um, rather than the app itself. So whether it goes to a web app or something else, it really doesn't make the slightest bit of difference. Um, so did he, did he test that aspect of it? Is that what people fell over on? Or you know, was, it, was it just um, you know, apps that needed um, specific hardware access that isn't available through HTML5? Um, yeah. Is it, was it those apps he tested? And they all fell over and, of course, you know, the native apps one exactly uh, because app can mean so many things there are so many different types of apps yeah was it java let's he tested yeah <laughs> no I, i'm a bit cross with him on this one i agree with you and, uh, yeah not helpful not at all uh, but the but like also what was quite amusing um was a, i saw quite a few um of the app developers out there on twitter um Retweeting um, Nathan's alert box, which they a lot of them wouldn't normally do. Of course uh, they were, and I hate that as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a typical kind of flag waving. Yay! Now, now we can carry on. It's fantastic. Mm. Buy our apps. And yeah. one thing about this article as well, of course, is that he ends up by by sort of blowing his own horn, saying that he predicted a lot of the stuff that's have been happening. And he's saying, yeah, I predicted that like seven years before it happened, and I predicted that other thing eight years before it happened, but. I mean, and that he uses that as sort of an argument, saying that web apps will become later than he thinks now. It's, that's that's <laughs> completely insane. 
<laughs> Please, both, yeah, Jacob. Both, predict, both predictions come, came true, but not until seven years later. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. So that's enough bashing on Jacob. Uh, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Right, we yeah, yeah. Uh, were talking to our good friend Jesper Bylund on Twitter, and he actually wrote up an uh, article on a native app uh, for iPhone uh, called the the Clear app, which is a to-do list. And uh, one of the things, sorry, to-do list manager, to-do list manager, even. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of you will know Jesper because he was actually a guest on our show uh, a couple of episodes back. And he's really into gamification, and, and he really got me and James thinking a lot more about gamification processes as well. So, so give that a listen. He thinking about gamification, just like he said he would. He mm. gamed me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I really enjoyed and liked about his write-up about this app was specifically uh, actually the way the app used sound, which is something that I've been uh, looking at or realizing more and more that... The apps uh, that I'm using, the sound that they make actually, of course, uh, affects how I feel about them and affects the user experience. And that's something that we need to be taking more into account than when we're designing websites because in the apps, most people have sound on. They've been playing games or something. They, you can have head headphones on uh, in a more natural way. So given the choice between two apps that are similar where one app provides me actually with, with great sound uh, and I have another example also with uh, Steven Anderson actually uh, put me onto the app uh, which is a scorekeeper app uh, where you add people uh, and give them each a color and each color has a different sound and you can basically play different tunes just pointing at the players which was pretty fun mm. so just that element made the scorekeeper app uh, a really fun app not, and not just something that could oh i've used a lot of scorekeeper apps in, in the past and i, I know I, i'm going to download this one just because of that feature and yeah it just makes the the difference between something uh, mundane and something really fun and enjoyable yeah it, it removes some of the it makes it less of a chore to um to do a task exactly yeah. mm -hmm. and on a I, um... completely different note is actually i've downloaded uh an app uh, to help me sleep better, uh, which of course is sound based, uh, and it has a voice in the background. <laughs> sound based. Sorry, and, and sorry, it, sorry. I just like to think it is a, it's some kind of app that your uh, your drug dealer is giving you, and you can just any time of night you just press a button and you kind of <laughs> courier some some hardcore sleeping pills right to your house. <laughs> but but it's it, an app. but it, it, I mean I, I'm always skeptical to these things, of course. But I, I mean I read the reviews and I, I have to try it out. And it's I mean I I'm out cold in in uh, five minutes using this app, which is. Really, 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 really insane as well. But uh, what I'm uh, realizing, of course, then, is that there's so much about sound that I don't know enough about, uh, which means that we can use sound to, I don't know, trigger different feelings and uh, in that sense also trigger uh, or create a completely more enjoyable user experience. Mm, it's a, you know, the sound sound is a, a local for me. I've not really thought about it too much in the context of um, of mobile and, um, and and tablets. I mean, was, my, my take on it on web has always been well, at least in recent years, is that you know you, you don't use sound on a website unless your website clear you know, the users of your website clearly would expect sound. 
Yeah, or, or they yeah. actually are the ones who, who play the sound. Of course, yeah. yeah. And then it goes for goes for, goes for yeah. granted that it's going to make sound. But um, yeah. you know, you 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 don't have a corporate business to business website that suddenly starts playing sound at you, uh, unless perhaps you know your corporate website was was for I don't know a trombone company, but. Um, <laughs> And maybe you get away with it, but I'd still be a bit hesitant. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I, I, it's an interesting thing with phones. I mean, one one aspect that I think about is you know, with mobile devices anyway. That a lot of the time, you know, people are listening to music, or or maybe you're at work, or in a you know meeting, and so on. Um, you know, the the importance of sound in those apps can't be too much. They can't be relying on it. Um, because there are going to be a lot of situations where you, you really don't want it turned. You're going to have to mute it. It's going to have to be off. Mm. Um, so then it so then it's just a you know it has to be an extra feature rather than something that's core. Um, well, core element. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that actually very similar to accessibility. And what you do is you always build for the. For all clients, but if you want to add extra functionality, mm-hmm. you do that with jQuery and libraries like that. Uh, meaning that it can, it's you can use it in every situation. But if it's possible for you to have the extra features, in this case, sound, then that will add to the experience. But it, of course, must still work uh, with the least possible. Uh, well, if, with sound off and the, the worst browser and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean the the other thing. Um... I think about the um, the Clear app is I, I for me it felt like it would be something that would be good for kids. Um, mm-hmm. I like the um, it's because it's, it's simple. It's it's quite intuitive. It's it's got colours and sound and so on. Um, so it might be quite good for you know kids of a school school age when they're starting to get home with right. other things. But uh, but I, I, as far as a practical thing for for well that is a good point because more and more I think uh, we have to target. Uh, younger and younger consumers because yeah. they are getting these smartphones as well and yeah. if you want to get yeah, them we're getting hand-me-downs I mean we're, we're now seeing kids running around with iPhone 3s because right. um, their parents have gone onto iPhone 4s and 4s and so on so yeah, yeah. so if That's, you want to uh, get them uh, while they're still young and have the <laughs> hook to your products in the future then get them while they're 10, 10 years old and make sure you have sound in your apps <laughs> <laughs> bright colors and whooshing things yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that's true because that i mean the clear app is is obviously something that you or i would not use but because it's really really simple yeah uh, but it uh, again it does one thing really well so uh probably that's what they were going for hopefully yeah um yeah it clearly was simplicity is something that's simplicity and intuitiveness is really what they were going for mm. definitely interesting to look at when it was Good of Jesper to write it up as well. Yeah, I think we'll have to wrap up here. I think that's it. Yeah. That's the four links, and that's that right. was half an hour of chatting. Yeah, <laughs> and another thing, we've actually been recording this late in the evening, so we're really tired, both of us. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> usually I we record this during the day. And we're full of energy. I mean, I I, I predicted that we'd speak a lot slower. So yeah. I don't. Did we speak slower? I don't know. I'm not to, sure. I'm not sure we did in the end. No. Um, <laughs> So, so now we, we get to say goodnight to each other instead of goodbye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks, for, um, thanks for listening. Um, I'm James Roy Lawson. And uh, I'm Pat Axbo. And good night. Good night, wherever you are.
You've been listening to UX Podcast with freelance consultants James Royal Lawson and Per Axman. For more information or to subscribe to this podcast, visit uxpodcast.com.